1: Broadcasting from the Lush But Not Lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers, episode 456, How to Train Your Dragon 3. What? Well, it's not the title of the movie. There's no three of the title. There's not? Well, yeah. I don't give a sh- enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it was Hidden Ranch Valley Dressing. What is it? Hidden Ranch Valley Dressing. Yes. That is, yeah. You got it. <laughs> I... I like is that well? What, yeah. It's, it's just a, it's one of
2: those you know sometimes yeah, no, you totally. get the number and sometimes you get just the subtitle. And yeah, this it can confusing because the second
0: one was just a number. It was How to right. Train Your Dragon Two, and this one is just the Hidden World.
2: Doesn't Let's that kind look. of screw up like the the numbering system or like when you put your DVDs alphabetically or whatnot? Because mm-hmm. you know, well, I guess you have numbers and then title. You couldn't go title and then a number. That would screw it up, you know. Because one, I'm used to comic kind of books
1: where it's all alphanumerical, yeah. but. But then you get really screwed up because then you have all the you know, the, you have like Spider Man has like nine different books now and yeah. But uh, yeah, I, it all goes
2: back to Rambo. Rambo started that. Oh right, with the screwed up yeah. yeah. Rambo two first blood.
1: It was like no. So it goes. Well, hang on. First off, let's introduce ourselves. We have a <laughs> guest who's sitting there. Is like, can I talk? Can I not talk? <laughs> so uh, so joining us today uh, via Skype a phone is uh, J D Duran from the In Session Film Podcast. Hey, uh, how you doing?
3: Good. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. So when Kevin invited me on, I geeked out in joy <laughs> and here I am. So thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be Thank here. you for taking time out of your day and before... Uh, we get too far field, as I
1: like to say. Uh, everyone else uh, can go around the table and, and introduce themselves. Yeah, my name is Steve Kelly, and
2: I'm a writer with the Review STL. And this is Kevin. I'm a co-host of the Real Spoilers Podcast. And I'm Tom. I'm uh, visiting from the Clip Out Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> JD Tom has an, another podcast that uh, he's way more popular than this one, and so <laughs> he's now a guest. He's now yeah, a guest. Now I'm, a guest.
1: <laughs> I'm guest on 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 our own podcast because <laughs> the other one's so much more popular. Which is, it's all about fitness, which I know looking at me, you're
2: like, what? And... (laughs) you're right that's part of the joke is that i don't do it jd does a Mm -hmm. podcast with brendan and i want i want him to tell Mm -hmm. people a little bit about his podcast but he had me on the podcast to talk about mid-90s and so i really appreciated them Mm -hmm. having me on to talk about that one and why don't you tell people a little bit about the show
3: yeah so like you said i co-host with uh, my good friend brendan cassidy and we uh typically review some sort of new release but we try to vary it up between, uh, you know, some of your bigger films, but we will throw in some of your smaller indie films or art house films, and we couple that with some sort of top three list that we do each week on the show. Um, we have a, a Friday show that's entirely dedicated to indie films and art house films as well. So, yeah, we're we're expanding out. We got a new Oscar show as well that comes out every other week. So, yeah, our our little brand over here is. Doing new things, which is both exciting and frustrating to my wife, but you know, it is what it is. Well,
2: and, and you know, their, their show, they're one of those smart podcasts with the show prep and the segments, and the, oh. they know what they're talking about type things. That sounds like a lot of work. No wonder yeah. your wife's mad. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a great yeah. show, though. I mean, those, It is a lot of work. <laughs> they know their stuff, and so it's always a pleasure to Thank listen you. to, and I'm really excited to have JD on.
1: Yeah. My other podcast is like that, but, uh, but my wife does all that. So
3: <laughs>
2: it makes it easier. <laughs> <laughs> nice. See, you need to have your wife join yeah. your podcast, JD. That's
3: the solution. Well, before we had Sam, um, our our son, she, she did guest a few times, uh, probably begrudgingly, but she was definitely on the show. If you go back to the archive back in 2014, she joined us for... Uh, what was it, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey nah, and a few See, others, that's the smart that's, you know, so she was. There. We did that
1: too yeah. We had our wives on and did like a couples episode For the Fifty which is smart yeah. Like, I Put them on the dirty episodes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just research, honey exactly.
3: I, and, and she joined me for About Time As well in 2013 And that was one she genuinely enjoyed Like she liked that movie, she liked talking about it It was like the one and only time She's ever participated In any sort of way <laughs> Uh, where she actually liked it. (laughs) Other than that, I think she just puts up with it, but I'm grateful because she's been doing that for six years now. Yes. It's nice to find one. That'll let you do that. Put up with your crap. (laughs) Especially post having a kid because anyone that's a parent knows that things get much more amplified when, We have a little toddler running around, so the fact that she's still putting up with it uh, is amazing. So I'm very, very grateful. (laughs) Awesome. Well, circling back around, we were talking about Rambo. So
1: Rambo goes first blood, Mm -hmm. and then Rambo first blood two, and then Rambo three. (laughs) So there was never a Rambo two.
2: Oh that's right the movie was called First Blood right it wasn't it wasn't even the, the, called right, Rambo
1: the, right they tried to do the Indiana Jones thing where yeah. they went back in time and called it like and called it Rambo First Rambo, Blood but it was just but as someone who lived through it yeah. that's total BS <laughs> that never happened it was always called First Blood yeah. and then it was called Rambo First Blood 2 <laughs> and and then the third one was just Rambo 3 which no mention of First Blood i think because they took a lot of heat like First Blood Two would be Second
2: Blood. Like that doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like none of this makes any sense whatsoever. Oh, so. Somewhere there's a librarian pulling their hair out trying to Dewey Decimalize yeah. <laughs> and organize all the Rambo movies at the rental section. So I guess before
1: we jump into the film proper, some quick shameless plugs. Don't forget we're available on Apple Podcasts, where you can go there, rate, review, subscribe, and uh, uh, you know. We, we're always horning out for uh, for the reviews. I had a thought, I'm just gonna put this out there like sometimes reviews people leave some pretty lengthy reviews, right? Sure. Like you don't have to do that. Like you can just be like, hey, I like this podcast a lot done. So so if if that's your stumbling block,
2: that's true. Like some people might be intimidated, like they've heard some of the reviews we've read. Right. And they're like, oh, God, I can't gush about the show like that. Or like, I only kind of like the show. I Or write I'm not a good it.
1: I'm not a good writer. I don't put words together. so like you don't have to do this big, giant thing. You can just be like, I like, I like I like the show a lot. Five stars done. Like, or yes.
2: just
0: ask for more Steve Kelly
2: on the podcast. I mean, you, well, let's you want, not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> if you want all your friends to review and rate the show five stars, they can say anything they want about you on there. Yes. We don't care. It's America. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: uh, so anyway, if that's ever been a stumbling block for you, don't feel like you got to live up to something. Just go and type in, like, five stars, loved it, thanks. So, uh, five
2: stars, Kevin's the best, love the box office report. <laughs>
1: yeah, go for it. I go. everybody's <laughs> pouring out for their own personal mention. <laughs> We're available at uh, Facebook.com slash Real spoilers, you can go there Like the page, join the League of Show Sharers And all that fun stuff, so I guess... Uh, oh, Kevin's giving me the stink eye. Our Patreon account at uh, patreon.com slash real spoilers, where for five bucks a month, you get all sorts of bonus content.
2: And we started doing video mm. segments to promote the show. It's something that Tom has done on the popular podcast he does. <laughs> and uh, I just used some of the Patreon money to buy a little professional phone tripod that we could put to the right level. So I know we had some positive feedback and also some commentary on our angles for our videos and such. <laughs> we knew about that. We only did it one time and didn't have the tripod. So now we have the equipment and that is the kind of stuff that you get, so now you are improving the show with yes. your patronage.
1: You don't have to look at our double chins. Triple, we can, quadruple. We, we can hide them now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so okay, enough of all that. Uh, let's dig into the movie, shall we?
2: First of all, I want to say... You know, Again, thank you guys for joining us, and I know that you both are huge fans of the series. I've really enjoyed it. I wouldn't call myself like a super fan of the series, but I, I kind of wanted to talk to you guys about where you landed on all the other films.
0: I thought it was probably the second best of the trilogy. I would still say the first was the best, The Hidden World, and then two. I really felt like, in terms of ending the trilogy, concluding, it was probably about as well as you could have done. I mean, there's some really sappy parts, a little maybe a little over-emotional, but... I don't think that they could have written it any other any better. You consider the audience is geared toward like you know kids. They want a happy ending to a trilogy, and I thought they did a really good job without making it more darker. Or uh, I'm, yeah. I'm stumbling over my words here. I'm I'm really tired. <laughs> Had a long weekend. Apparently, my friends thought I was missing your dad.
2: Oh well, (laughs) we're glad you're here. Thank you. Glad Uh, you're alive, first and foremost. But so, were you? Were you a huge fan of the first two though? Going into this one,
0: absolutely. Like I, I didn't see the first one when it came out in theaters. Um, I didn't see it until one of my friends told me about it and thought I might really like it. So, saw the first one, absolutely loved it. Saw the second one in theaters, loved it. And so I've been waiting for this one for. I guess it came out in 2014. The second one, so I guess I've been waiting for about four and a half five years
3: okay awesome and so jd what's your history with this franchise well i am a big fan so i i think that first how to train your dragon is severely underrated and i guess take this with a grain of salt if you must but how to train your dragon 2 i'm very much on record at least on our show of saying that i think it's the best animated sequel of all time i think it's that good it's, it's a deeply rich and emotionally layered film it takes risk It shows the uh, ramifications of those risks that most animated films aren't willing to do. Even Toy Story 3, a film I adore with every fiber of my being, shows us stakes but shows us zero ramifications of said stakes. Where How to Train Your Dragon, the first film and the second film, shows us that there is something at stake and sometimes there is a cost to that. And I think that just amplifies... Uh, much of what those films are about, um, not just dramatically, but thematically as well. So I love, love, love these two films. And honestly, and again, take this with a grain of salt if you must, but I'm pretty confident in that if this wasn't a DreamWorks trilogy, if you just flipped out DreamWorks with Pixar, and I think the discourse on these films would be vastly different. I think it's be- because it's coming from DreamWorks, lesser tier animated studio uh people tend to be like ah eh, you know they're fine when i think they're much much more than that i think if you put pixar in front of it it's a completely different conversation i think it's as simple as that but yeah these films i think are as good as anything pixar or disney's ever put out hands down
2: and it's interesting that you say that and especially bringing up the risk and the ramifications of the actions because um you know, in that second one, I think the the biggest thing that stands out is Hiccup's dad dying, and you you're mm. used to, in animated films aside from you know the mom dying in the first three seconds of a Disney film. Yeah, the, you don't usually get right a parent death in a
1: Disney movie is typically it it sets up the action, so it's a character you're not invested in in the same way that you were with hiccups dad
2: you never worry about donkey dying in the shrek movies i mean that when you have a huge character that you're invested in like hiccups dad voiced by gerard butler which i think these movies are some of gerard butler's best work in his career like i think it's crazy how good he is in (laughs) these movies and it's an animated thing but like you don't think, oh, Gerard Butler, voice actor, but like he's acting in these yeah. movies and just shows you the stakes are real. People can actually die. And so it does set you up for, I think, a better experience at the movies. Whereas when you go to Toy Story, I mean, I guess with three, a lot of people you're like, oh, they're not going to do that. But you're like, are they really going to do this? Like they got the closest they could to actually. Right. But at the end of the day, I, I never will say
1: si- they <laughs> held that beat in Toy Story three for a really long time to where I was like, are they really going like, because it's like, because Pixar is mm-hmm. just crazy enough to do it, yeah. especially back then. I don't think they're quite that brave now, but at that point in time, and, and especially because it was positioned as the last one. Right. And it was like, mm-hmm. like oh, I How
2: could. How crazy yeah. would that be, though? These billion-dollar movies, these kids' movies. Yeah if they would have killed off any or all of them, like it just, you know, at the end of the day, like I had that feeling too, because of the way they, they handled it. But again, I never really thought like, Oh yeah, there's, they're going to come off. No, like, you know, and so, I agree. Yeah. It, it, these movies, there are stakes and it feels real. And and uh, yeah, I, I think they're really masterfully done. And it's interesting, too, because uh, the director of these last two films and the co-director of the first one came over from Disney. Mm-hmm. So uh, you had Dean Deblois. Yeah. And then uh, is it Chris Sanders was
3: the co-director? Of the I first? think so. Yeah,
2: he is the voice of Stitch and he uh, wrote. Lilo and Stitch oh okay and then Dean DeBlois was a director on Lilo and Stitch so that's the connection so they So do
1: they still let him go back and voice Stitch when they need it for like things in the theme park or
2: I, I mean I don't think they ever got a new voice now I could be wrong and there's probably a lot of people that can do a clever Stitch impression but right. it's, it's just interesting that I went back and I watched Mulan recently and that dog the little dog sounds a lot like Stitch in, in Mulan and right. I'm like yeah that's that's Chris that's him and so he that dragon sounds like donkey you ever notice that? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's good connection there. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Chris Sanders co wrote Mulan. Yeah. And then he went on to and then did the voice of that dog and then he's the voice of Stitch and the director of Lilo and Stitch. And then jumped over to DreamWorks. And I guess Deblois and, and Chris Sanders co directed the first one and then these last two have been solo outings for Deblois. Gotcha. Um so anyway, mm. but but there's a Disney history there that carries over, Um, I'm not going to repeat what J.D. said, but the quality of these films, the writing, the cinematography, they're beautiful films, I mean... Oh, my God,
1: yeah. Like, I really like the world-building of the second one, and I felt like this one, like, didn't build on that. And and that left me disappointed. It was just like, oh, there's this whole other world for dragons, it's right over here, and now we're there. Like, it just felt like such an easy achievement that it just, like... I, I I spent the bulk of this movie bored, perfectly honest, and I, I think I think the reason it's getting as good of reviews as it is, is, I think the last 20, 25 minutes gets really good, but leading up to that, like I was so bored and just didn't, I just was not invested in this movie at all, and and I don't know the theater I saw it in anyway, the it was very dim, like the picture was dim. And it just it looked cheap to me like I don't I'm not I'm not getting I didn't get the whole like, oh, the animation on this one is beautiful. I thought it looked I thought it looked cheap in a lot of ways that opening scene where uh, where they're trying to save dragons or whatever. Like I I didn't notice that there were there uh, there was lots of like fog and smoke. And it just felt like it was like a way to not have to animate as much. Like, oh, we'll just have it be lots of smoke, and there won't we can't really see anything. And it just felt like, like I know that second one underperformed, and I felt like they slashed the budget and they had to make concessions. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's what it felt like.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can't help the way you felt about it. The only thing, you know, the thing that I hate about that is just on the off chance. I mean, when I saw it. The film looked beautiful. I mean, this is this looks. The other two looked beautiful, and especially for at the time. And I mean, this is the best looking one. Cinematic. It's very cinematic. Very gorgeous colors. CGI. I mean, all the designs are very detailed. And uh, I just I thought it looked brilliant. And so I hate to think that you think that because you got a bad theater for it. And I know there's nothing you can do. I mean, that's how they showed it to you. So I totally. And I went to
1: a press screening. So like, if if I got a bad theater for it, then they then they need to screen yeah. them at different movies. But
2: how many press screenings have you been to where something screwed up, too? Oh, yeah. And, and so, like, I'm just saying it's not beyond... I mean, we've had movies that start half hour, hour late, movies that never start, movies that start in 3D when they're supposed to be 2D with no glasses. So, like, the idea that you maybe went to a press screening and the projector was set too dim or wasn't calibrated right, like, it's a possibility. And it, I just it's hate- a
1: possibility. I just think that the, the, then that, that promotion
2: company needs to do a better job. Totally. J- JD I mean as far as brightness colors, I mean did the movie seem dark too dark to you at any point in time?
3: I would be very curious for you to rewatch the film in uh in, in a different theater and come out. I if you came out saying the same thing, I mean that's totally fair. But I think it's maybe the most gorgeous of the three. And I don't even know if it's close. And I love the second film. Uh, in terms of its visuals, it's pretty stunning. But yeah, the the color palette, especially once you get into the hidden world, the the hue, the, those bright yeah. hues and the varying colors, it is breathtaking to watch. Pandora, flight of passage, it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or or even that dance sequence between the light fury and toothless. And one of the first things I said on Twitter after watching it is that I think it rivals the dance sequence in WALL-E. I think it's that gorgeous. And the romanticism there is uh, is just blissful. And I think it's not just the imagery, but the, uh, the score by John Powell, I think, amplifies a lot of that as well. Uh, but he yeah, has just a breathtaking sequence. I think visually, though, it's it's a stunner. I think it's it's quite evocative.
2: Awesome. And Steve, did it seem dark to you? Or I guess... So I actually was
0: at the same screening as uh, Tom. Oh, okay. I didn't think it was too bad. Like, oh, so I Tom's actually just thought, broken. <laughs> I thought it was... <laughs> I'm dead on the inside. No, I actually... I agree 100% with what J.D. was saying. I mean, that scene where they get to find the hidden world and they're flying through it. And you see all these visuals and just these colors in the sky. Yeah, it's like I, absolutely gorgeous. Stuff. I will
1: agree. that, And I even said the last 20 minutes of the movie I thought were really good. Talk about stick the landing. I yeah. mean, this
2: movie, if there ever was a definition of sticks the landing.
1: Right. But uh, and, and and because the hidden world is so bright, I think it overcame the, the dimness of whatever we were looking were at. Were you in 3D? No, okay. that's, and yeah. I was going to say that. That's the other thing that made me so frustrated with how dark this movie was. Is that like, like, I'll, I'll give a three D movie a little bit of latitude because I know that like. You're wearing those glasses, but we we saw a two D version of this movie.
2: Remember a Christmas Carol in three D? One of the early early C G three D movies, and that movie's set in dark London. Right and then you put three D before the projectors were that good. I mean that was you may as well have been in the dark trying to Yeah, it it. might as
1: well have been a radio (laughs) drama. (laughs) Like that's a
2: good looking movie too, but like the way theaters were back then, it's like the projectors weren't as good. They were getting their first three D projectors and like things just weren't and then they
1: set the entire movie against candlelight. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. I mean, literally, that's what it was. So, okay, cool. Well, I just, yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about the visuals and stuff. But yeah, let's get into the movie. Was it a year after the second one that this takes place? Yeah, about a year. Yeah. Okay. I think that's correct. So, yeah. so this takes place a year later, and basically we find out that the village of Burke has been growing over these past years. Ever since Hiccup and his friends brought, brought dragons, their island is they're just overflowing with dragons. They're everywhere. You turn around, there's a dragon there. They're knocking stuff over. Uh, the film begins with a pretty cool, like, uh, stealthy, uh, like, scene of, uh, you know, they've been going and rescuing dragons, and that's why the, why Burke is overflowing. And so you get Hiccup with his really cool dragon scale armor. He's got his lightsaber flame sword, uh, that we saw in the second one, right? <laughs> yeah and it's just it's really cool uh, I, I really it's like it's nice it. to
1: see uh, something like that a movie ad something like that that you know they can't sell as a toy
2: <laughs> mom I want the, I want the flame <laughs> the flame sword here's, here's a as flaming will, <laughs>
0: lawsuits be worth it yeah. here's a
1: flaming sword child
0: absolutely
2: <laughs> have like, at it you know the toy is just a uh, like a yellow or an orange translucent piece of plastic yeah. with like some <laughs> little flames coming off of it like yeah. but you know it's its a really cool scene but basically the whole point of it is to show you that they've been out trying to rescue Dragon dragons and so this is the scene tom was talking about there's a lot of smoke and fog and whatever but they're trying to rescue all these dragons and so you get all your friends coming and they eventually break free all of the dragons from one of the sets of bad guys in this movie but don't we get a glimpse at this point when they leave of the light fury for the first time that she she comes but she Mm -hmm. was invisible right and she had like turned herself visible after they left yeah because that's, that's, that's right. why they don't yeah. rescue her, because they didn't see her there. And she kind of just turns herself fizzle. Yeah. So that's the first time we see, like, whoa, she can do some stuff we've never seen Toothless do. And we'll find out later there's some other mm-hmm. things that Toothless can do, but we haven't seen him do yet. So that's our first look. And, and the posters, the trailers, we've all seen this white Night Fury. And so that's the big selling point of this third film as far as uh, new characters, toys, you name it. Um, so, yeah, they get back to Burke. It's overcrowded. We are introduced to everybody and mostly the same voice cast, except for T.J. Miller, for obvious reasons, has yeah. been recast, especially when they're making this movie. Like, I know the heat's kind of died down a little bit, but, you know, when they're in the middle of filming this movie, I can right. see why they were like... Yay. That guy Sound
1: did a pretty good T.J. Miller. I I, thought. It was
2: jarring to me. I yeah. I, I think because... T.J. Miller's voice is so distinct. Like, as soon as he started talking, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, because I
1: did spend my time like, is that T.J. Miller? (laughs) Like, I, you know, like, it was at least close enough to maybe... Made me question it. Yeah,
2: you, you'd know, though. But it's like, I get it. And especially it's a kid's movie. We've seen the way that controversy has surrounded some of these other films and especially animated films. And it's like, DreamWorks is just like, nope, not touching yeah. it. Like,
1: I, th- I thought it was good uh, to replace T.J. Miller in the role. I thought it was odd that they used
3: John Lasseter. No. <laughs> it's a weird choice. It was an odd choice. <laughs> it's a weird choice. <laughs> yeah.
1: So
2: seriously, though, who, is it a name? Is it anybody we know?
3: I. I it's Justin Ruppel. Who, who is that? Tough Nut this time who, around. Do
2: we know him? Because I, I looked it up before the show, and I'm like,
3: who was that? Oh, I, who was that? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know him. I, I mean, looking through his credits on IMDb, there's not much that stands out, just a bunch of miscellaneous and small stuff. So, yeah. Okay. No one that I'm really familiar with. I For don't what think it's many worth, people would be. He doesn't even have his own and, entry and maybe, in Wikipedia. and maybe that's why. They wanted to get someone that wouldn't be distracting. That's
2: true. Oh, you replaced TJ Miller with... Claire Danes—that's a weird choice. Like, that's gonna be distracting. <laughs> they should have just used uh, that uh, Jason Manzoukas or oh, however. Jason Manzukas, yeah, I would have loved if it, this movie. Well, just
1: because he replaced him in the Mucinex commercials. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. that's hilarious.
2: Which uh, is still it irritates me because it should
1: be pronounced Mucinex,
2: <laughs> right? Because it's mucus, not You're not clearing out your mucus. <laughs>
1: Like, I called it Mucinex for years, and my wife, because I will say this, it's a really good product, and it's very effective.
2: But uh, uh, but I've always called it Mucinex. Lining up our next
1: sponsor, right? Yeah. right? I'll whore out. I don't care. Oh,
2: yeah. We will promote. But uh, and Joe could probably use some on some
1: episodes, yeah. so it would be a perfect But like, wise. Mucinex? Why would you make that a soft C?
2: It's a hard C, like my ex-wife. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of that on the show, J.D. Yeah. We d- and we just breeze right <laughs> oh, past boy. it. It yeah. doesn't really affect us anymore. So they get back to town. It's overflowing, like I said, for the 12th time. And the other conflict is that it's time for Astrid and Hiccup to get married. Gobber, who is Craig Ferguson, who I, I love him in these movies. I think he's really funny. I think he's... A, I mean, he's got that... He has another distinct voice where it's like, you can't replace Craig Ferguson. That's fantastic. And uh, he's just giving him trouble. Like, it's time for you to get married. You are... The leader of this village, you know, the dad's been passed away for some time now, and it's time for you to take over, take a wife, have a family. You know what
0: I've always wanted, though? I What's mean, that? Hicko's dad is Gerard Butler's voice. Yeah. His mom is Kate Blanchett. Blanchett's voice. Or what? Blanchett? Kate Blanchett. Mm, yeah. Why doesn't
2: he have an accent? None of
1: the kids <laughs>
2: have accents. Huh. Well, maybe. Well, they're like transplants. Like, maybe they're from a different place, and then Burke is in a non I'm just trying to justify yeah, it. I like
1: no none of because none of the kids have I guess like yeah. maybe when you hit maturity, your accent kicks in, like pubes.
2: Have you heard Jay Baruchel's voice? Like, have him try to do an accent. He, he did do that one
1: yeah, line with an probably accent. not a good yeah. idea. He did do one line with the accent in this one, like he was
3: mocking.
2: somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah he he's mocking his dad. Yeah, yeah. but uh, and that's fine. But like, yeah, try to have him for a whole movie yeah. seriously do an acting job with Oof, an accent. Let's do nothing to make his voice more annoying. Um, I will say, though, you know, Jay Baruchel, he was in all those like dumb comedies that, you know, I grew up in high school and people Steve's age. Like we grew up with him and all these things. And his voice was so jarring, like not jarring. His voice was so distinctive. Yeah, like, yeah, It's a nasally. He's got that voice. That's mm-hmm. kind of his thing. I will say he tones it down but, a lot for these movies. I don't think it shows through mm, in these ones. I agree, and it's he's really good in these movies. But yeah, I think his voice is definitely toned down, and I I appreciate that because yeah. I don't think we could do an hour mm. and a half animated because you can't see him. So it's like if we were just to hear his normal voice, it would probably be a little bit.
0: It's it's just so jarring because I'm a big fan of the Goon movies, and yeah. he's in there, and he's just like this completely foul mouth dude, <laughs> just like s- saying all sorts of uh, profanity and uh, you know slang terms mm-hmm. for parts of anatomy and yeah. <laughs> then he just you you see him in how to train Your dragon he's just this overall wholesome good guy it's like hey i got a dragon
1: yeah <laughs> well I, it's it, yeah. you see that a lot in cartoons so i mean for years i mean buddy hackett if you ever saw buddy hackett stand up holy crap that dude i mean like he would make don rickles blush yeah but he was in all those herbie the love bug movies and of course he was the the what the seagull or whatever in and little mermaid but, uh, uh, and I mm-hmm. mean, you know,
2: Bob Saget is I think the number yeah, one. Holy, yeah. He's the number one example of that, just because everyone <laughs> grew up with. I mean, people <laughs> our age, he was the dad on Full House, the yep. wholesome dad on Full yeah. House. Uh, Robin Williams, his stand up's filthy, and yeah. it's like you know, oh, yeah. the genie from Aladdin. Let's take my kids to see his stand standup. Yeah. I mean, nope, bad idea. Um, So totally, and then I mean, even T.J. Miller. Oh, yeah. I mean, right. that guy's filthy in stand-up, and stand up. And Patton Oswalt, and he's not filthy, no, filthy, but, but he can get he can get a little totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you know, when they're when they're mm-hmm. casting you for a kids movie and they're, they're giving you that paycheck. Hey, tone it down. Absolutely. It's a movie. So Hiccup is struggling with that. So he's dealing with not only that overcrowding situation, but also the pressure to be married to Astrid. Him and Astrid have a very playful relationship. You know, it's it's not... Astrid isn't the most romantic person in the world, and he even mentions that in this movie. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's not on his number one priority list, but he's always being kind of nudged to, you know, go that direction. Um, uh, And uh, so anyway, we see uh, Hiccup on a cliff, and he's playing fetch with Toothless, which I thought was a really good scene. He takes off his leg and throws it to him, and, you know, he brings it back slobbery, and uh, Astrid comes and finds him. And uh, this is where he pitches the idea of, the hidden world. I think we see a flashback here of him talking to his dad, you know, and and his dad is telling him the story of dragons and the hidden world, and so he realizes that the idea to you know get them to is to get them to a place where they and the dragons will have enough room. I think it was it in the previous scene where one of the huge dragons that they brought back starts bowling over things in the village and yeah. they start toppling like dominoes. Yeah. So it's a huge yeah. problem like their village is going to be destroyed so he's just like yeah let's go find the hidden world and I, I can definitely see where Tom's coming from because you've got this mysterious hidden world that's it's a fairy tale. His dad told right. him about it and Hiccup's just like let's head this direction and yeah. then eventually and then they, they like they like look
1: and look and look and they're like oh we can't find it and we'll just stop here and build a whole new town and then later in the movie it's like well let's look a little bit more. Oh, there it is.
2: <laughs> like <laughs> To be fair, they did stop to rest. Like all the people were like, Yeah, we're tired of oh, traveling. Yeah. Like he wanted to keep going, so I get that. Yeah. I just mean in terms of like it's that
1: close. Right. Like it w- it it was not really an arduous task yeah. to find the hidden valley. As far as is hidden worlds go. It's not one of your better hidden ones.
2: So uh, so mm. they they leave. Once they get to the new campsite that everyone, like, they instantly camp. They're like, or they want to stay. They're like, here's New Burke. And Hiccup's like, yeah, we're stopping to rest and take a pee break. And they all want to live there. Uh, we're introduced to the Kit Harrington character who is from the last movie. Um, you know, and, and uh, later on, he's going to tell us about the bad guy. So Hiccup and uh, Toothless, they, they go off into the woods and hiccup spots a dart and so it's he finds out that it's from grimmel this the bad guy of this movie and uh he is like supposedly i guess he's a dragon hunter would be what you would call his yeah. profession and uh he has allegedly killed all of the night furies so that's his thing he wants to kill every single night fury and so, when so his goal is to
1: not have a job
2: yeah exactly he wants to retire we wouldn't so uh, when he's talking to the guys that had all the dragons that the gang busted out in the opening scene they're like they got away and they had a night fury and you see Grimmel's eyes you know pop open like night fury and so that is that is basically his motivation for the movie is that They've got all the Night Furies now. The only thing that confused me about this, guys, and, and maybe JD, you can answer this one. The people at that camp had a Light Fury. What they what they term? I think Astrid terms as a Light Fury. It is a White Night Fury. Mm-hmm. It's still a Night Fury. Yeah. Why doesn't he want to yeah. kill the White Night Fury? Is that? I mean, that just seems kind of weird. Because he's a racist. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, I mean, is that like, just maybe, a, like
1: I was just like a White Night Fury, like White Night, like like the Clan. Like, that's maybe maybe come up with a different... Uh, which is, I think, why pretty soon... I mean, they're saying it's yeah. a
2: white Night Fury, you know? Right. And so I think that's why the Light Fury came yes. out pretty quickly. That was yeah.
1: good, a good move on their
2: part. But, like, I mean, I know kids movie and we're brushing along, but, I mean, is tell me if there's a real explanation for why he doesn't want to kill the White, the Light Fury.
0: My thought was that he was basically going to use her to lure...
2: Totally,
3: and that's what he yeah, does. Yeah, and, but I'm, before he knew that there was a... But we don't we don't know if he even knew that she existed because when she's on that bow at the beginning, that's not Grimmel's shit. True, that's true. a completely different clan, and obviously she escapes from that. So there, the film never explores it, but suggests that perhaps Grimel just didn't realize until she you know comes back into the fold the second time around, and then she uses her to lure out uh, Toothless. So. Um, which and, and the way things play out in the end, I got the feeling that he, his plan was to kill both of them. Eventually. Absolutely. But needed to use, needed to use her to, to get to toothless first. Okay,
2: Yeah. That's probably the most reasonable explanation. He didn't know she existed and then decided to use her until he had no use for her, meaning taking out toothless. So it makes sense. Um, mm. so, so that's his plan is to let her loose and have them do their, you know, their, their mating dance and all that, that we see, which, I mean, is pretty hilarious. Yeah. I thought that mm-hmm. was fantastic the fact that just the way that when they see each other, they like instantly imprint, like when two night furies see, or, you know, female, male night fury, whatever the technical reason is behind it. They instantly like toothless is fallen mad in love with the light fury. And that whole ordeal is just hilarious. Uh, no, they just,
0: they just uh, videotape me at the bar trying to hit on women. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It looked pretty similar. I've, I've been at the bar with you, Steve. Yeah, yeah it's pretty, you're yeah. right. Um, but he finds this poison dart. So he brings it back to the village. Um, it, Toothless is acting weird, and that's where Eric, the Kit Harrington character, is like, this is Grimmel, and this is where we get our exposition of, you know, the the night fury hunter, the dragon hunter, he wants to kill them all. He'll be back. There's no way that he's, you know, gonna be far away from you. Um, so later that night he comes to the tent and and oh and what we should say is it it's F. Murray Abraham that plays Grimmel, right? Yes. Um, yes. And and yeah. so um, while I think that his voicing was fine, I did find him to be the weakest part of the movie. I don't know if any of you guys agree, but the his mm. character's motivation and and the the way that he was a little bit uh mustache twirling like he had toothless dead to rights so many times in this movie and i know he's a main character and i know you're not going to kill off toothless but he had toothless so many times and didn't kill him when he had the chance and i just i just thought that his villain was kind of the weak spot
1: it was just kind of a cliche like it just it felt like kind of a
3: standard villain take yeah I don't know
2: know. know. JD what were your thoughts on him as a
3: villain overall um it's a little bit twofold I don't find him as interesting as the villain in the uh in the second film but I don't completely dislike Grimmel either because I do think that while he's perhaps misused in that first act because there's a lot of uh clunky humor in that first act that is clearly pandering to young children. Um, And I can forgive it because I understand it's not aimed at me, but I can also vouch for its effectiveness because my son absolutely adored a lot of that humor in that first act. Uh, But once Grimmel takes his turn kind of more toward the middle section of the film, I think what he does narratively on the surface, it could come off as... Um, maybe like you guys are saying a little underutilized, but I think thematically he serves a pivotal role. And, and for me, that's why I ultimately enjoyed the character, not so much for what he does, but for what he allows our central protagonist to do. And that's what the heart of these films is all about anyway. So In that sense, I do like the character. Okay, sure. And I mean, again, like I said, I give it, I cut
2: these movies a little slack because as you said, I mean, some of the writing is going to be for kids. You have to entertain kids first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think the real quality marker of an animated film is being able to have the kids enjoy it and also have the parents enjoy being along there for the ride. That, yeah. That's what Shrek did. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's what a lot of the Pixar movies do. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, these movies certainly do that to where they have a huge following of adults and it's, these are not just for kids, uh, but they do balance that pretty well. So I, I definitely cut them some slack, uh, in those arenas. And again, you're not going to be, mm-hmm. you can't kill toothless or hiccup 30 minutes into this movie the stakes are real but they're not that real right to where you know he's got them dead to rights and he lets them go and you're like well that's not believable i mean so yeah yeah, it's a for- forgiving toothless he's wa- or he's i guess later in that scene he's wandering around in the woods and he runs into this the light fury and so these two are infatuated this is the first time where they're circling each other or toothless is circling and acting all goofy we see him fall in love uh, but we find out that this light fury is not too keen on humans. Uh, Toothless, I think, steps on a twig. And as soon as that she hears that twig, a huge purple fire blast is shot in that direction. And when a second one goes off, I mean, Hiccup is so hypnotized by seeing this light fury that he's about to get blown up. And Astrid comes and like pushes him out of the way as he's about to be exploded. So like, this thing is not mm-hmm. messing around with humans. And rightfully so. She's been caged by the other humans in this. So uh, she is not as accustomed as the other dragons and our friends in this. Um, So anyway, uh, so we're introduced to her. Uh, She ends up being scared away. Um, And that evening, Grimmel comes to the village. So he has been tracking and using the Light Furious bait. And this is where we get this first interaction uh, between Hiccup and Grimmel, uh, which I think was a pretty good showdown. It's It's a pretty neat action scene. And you think that Grimmel has... Hiccup dead to rights, uh, but it was a trap. So he had fish legs, who's Christopher Mintz yep. Uh who's always great mm-hmm. in these movies. I mean, another distinct voice there. You think that Toothless is under a blanket, and so Grimmel goes and shoots a tranquilizer to take out Toothless, and it's really him. So um, some comedy there. But but there's a huge showdown where they they have set this trap for Grimmel, and when you right when you think that they've got him, his dragons come busting through the roof, and he has some pretty crazy dragons like these things are acid breathing they've got this green stuff that just melts through everything and so you can see that this guy although he is a dragon hunter and he's trying to kill the night fury, he also has a great control over other dragons and
0: th- that scene and the, the later scene where they actually go to his base and yeah. try to track him down it kind of had for me a t- ocean's 12 feel and that You're basically trying to see both sides, one one up each other, be like one step ahead of each other, Mm. you know. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. You just when you think you have the upper hand, turns out this guy's been thinking that all along, and he's got you beat. He's got you dead to rights. And then it happens over and over and over again.
2: Kind of like a Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty yeah. situation. The, yeah, I, I do like that. I, I agree. It's, it's pretty cool. And I didn't, I mean, I to give uh, Hiccup some credit, like in that first scene, I didn't see that happening. Like him trapping him already. He's just heard of Grimmel. And I thought, oh, man, this guy snuck up on him. He has the upper hand. He's going to capture Toothless right here. And I mean, they had a pretty good plan. It was fun. But yeah, this guy, this guy has weaponized dragons in a way where, you know, our heroes use them, but like this guy's not messing around. So he's able to escape, mm-hmm. and this is where I mean things are his his house is destroyed. Uh, a lot of the village has been set on fire, so hiccup has to call a town meeting uh and get everyone gathered in the middle of the night because he realizes that this guy, as we said, is a huge threat like he's not going to stop at any cost. they have to leave the village, they know it's already overcrowded, so the perfect solution is you know, to find a new place. And his idea is to find this hidden world. Uh They've got all these dragons and he wants to bring them to the place where they belong. So his great idea is that they will make Burke. Their new Burke will be the hidden world, which I mean, I think it's, it's a little naive of him to think that the hidden world for dragons will be, you know, yeah, it's kind of a cop housing humans. <laughs> but I mean, he doesn't know. And, and yeah. I, I get his intentions. So well, I, we'll I just
1: call this the new world. Yeah. Or the hidden world. Right. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> so so uh they all agree and they head out. I mean it's as easy as that. And so again to Tom's point, I mean, it's pretty quick the way they set out. Everyone's okay to leave. Let's just head this direction to the hidden world. Yeah. It's Ta-da. yeah, and, and they guessed the right direction. Uh co- coincidentally, because toothless cannot survive in the cold. So they had to end up going the other direction. I don't remember, you know, east, west, whatever it was, but they set out in one particular direction. They went west. They went west? They went west. Okay. Cool. And
0: to be fair, though, like, it really did look like where they went was kind of on the edge of that map that uh, Grimmel has. Yeah. I thought, you know, so it doesn't really give us yeah. a sense of scale as to how long they actually traveled. I mean, it could have been, you know, could have been a few weeks That's or That's true. So
2: maybe it was just a big time jump because, I mean, it is like we got to leave. And then they're all out there flying, which I mean, again, this movie is so beautifully animated with the water, all the Mm -hmm. dragons traveling with all their, the village, their stuff, their houses, their belongings. And I mean, it's a really neat scene with everything that's going on, but they do Mm -hmm. pretty much, they go from the village, they go from Burke to in the air to resting. And then as Tom said, it's right outside the hidden world. So I feel like they didn't have the courage
1: to tell the story they wanted to tell, which was how they find the hidden world and that, and that, they got some sort of studio notes that were like, "We need a big villain," and hmm. so the Grimmel stuff just kind of felt arbitrary and the kind of thing you see in any kids' movie. Where if they would have focused more on, like, I would have been more interested in seeing. And coming off the last movie, I felt like it was setting up more for a movie like this, where it's going to be less about. There's this big bad, uh, you know. Obviously, bad guy trying to, you know, disrupt them in some capacity. Instead, be about like the internal struggles of people in terms of like, well, I don't want to leave my home, and I don't want, I don't know that there is a hidden world. Well, that's what I thought they were getting set up for. When he
2: he goes to that town meeting, and you have the people of Burke who have been there their entire lives, generations. I mean, they say it. I mean, and and they've said it seven
0: generations. Yeah,
2: I mean, this is their home, and I totally get that we've got a villain trying to destroy our village, but. If you think about it, you're going to have people hunker down and say we're going to just defend our home. Like people are not just going to be like let's leave to a place we don't know. Like and and some people are going to say no. And they're going to stay. Yeah, they're going to stay. I mean,
1: the you know, and, and I don't expect it to be that truthful to human nature, but like I mean, I just saw a thing on the news the other day about a town in I think it was Alabama maybe that's like like The sea is rising and And they're losing this town and they're like, hey, we'll give you all this land over here. And there are, and a lot of people are taking, but there are still people that are like on nope, the roof. I don't believe it, S- as yeah. you know, as they're standing as, and they're right. in their living room and waiters. Yeah, yeah. So
2: I, I, I get your point, and so that's what I was mm. getting ready for. I was thinking this movie, especially with uh, the courage they've had in the past, like Tom said, and how smart they've been. I was setting up for a little bit more of an internal struggle, like you said, but it's not what we got. And I really enjoyed this movie, and I just, mm. I think that maybe that could have made it that much better but you're always going to struggle with the studio and it's a kid's movie and you've got to keep them entertained. So I I think at the end of the day, we understand why they have Grimmel and why they do some of the things that they do. So they're at what they've dubbed New Burke. They stop to rest. We, like we said, they set up town there and this is where Toothless senses, I guess he either hears or senses the light fury, but she wakes him up in the middle of the night. Uh, Toothless goes up after her. And this is when we get that hilarious mating dance scene. If you want to call that where, Toothless is trying to to impress the Light Fury, and it's just absolutely hilarious. Uh, Hiccup ends up sneaking out after them, and he's kind of standing off on a hill and doing the, like, you got this, trying to coach him. And just to see the physical comedy of Hiccup's character and Toothless trying to recreate it, I mean, I was laughing out loud during this scene. I thought it was absolutely delightful one of my favorite parts of the film. I just think that they had mm-hmm. so much fun with it, especially when there there are a lot of stakes and it does get pretty serious at other parts, but they found that perfect balance of when to get serious you know, and when to have a lot of fun. And, and I thought this part was great. Did you
3: guys? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And if I can speak to that real fast and also uh, tie it back to what you guys were talking about regarding the hidden world, I think that dance scene is pretty arresting for a lot of the reasons we've talked about. But I also think that it's vital to the film uh, thematically as well because it cements the bond that forms between Toothless and and the Night Fury, which in turn forms this interesting dichotomy where Hiccup realizes how and why Toothless needs to find his own growth but it's going to come at the cost of something deeply personal for himself. And watching that unfold, as you guys have talked about uh, in that last 20 minutes, is pretty gut-wrenching, at least for fans of this franchise. But I also think it ties into what you guys are saying about the hidden world, which I think the title calling this the hidden world is a red herring. I think it's dramatic irony um, because I don't think this film was ever about Hiccup finding the hidden world or going on some adventure to find the hidden world. I think the film, first and foremost, is about exploring this idea of place and why it's important for us to be exactly where we need it to be. And in that, it actually reminded me a lot of Ralph Breaks the Internet last year. Um, And in that film, it filters that through the lens of codependency and its ramifications when you rely too heavily on one person. And this film doesn't demonstrate it. That verbatim, but in a similar way to Ralph and his dynamic with Vanellope, Hiccup veers dangerously close to being identity-less without Toothless, and it puts his entire clan in danger as it severely affects his decision-making. But it's in that why the flashbacks of the film that we were talking about earlier, I think, are sublime and important, and how Stoic reveals to Hiccup that it was his destiny to find the hidden world. But as I said, I think that's not, I, th- I think that's dramatic irony because once Hiccup finds it, he realizes that it was never about him finding the hidden world. He has this epiphany that Toothless and where he's supposed to be, it's now at this place. He has his own kingdom to take care of and that he can't selfishly keep him from that even though in so many ways Toothless – defines who Hiccup is and that that to me I think is the center of this film it is the core that drives everything which is why I was saying earlier Grimmel and his kind of arbitrary you know the little things that he does in this film serve that purpose it doesn't serve some sort of grand epic adventure that maybe you thought that you were going to get because of the marketing and we're going on you know the hidden world and you see you see parts of it in the trailer and it's gorgeous. And I think all of that is a red herring. I think it has this, this film narratively doesn't care at all about trying to find the hidden world. It's all about place where we are supposed to be. What are, what are our identities inside of the places that we are supposed to be? That's what this film is all about. And you get it with uh, with Toothless. You get it with with Hiccup. You get it with. Uh, even the light fury as well. And of course, you know uh, the town of Burke and you know what they call home. Cause there, there is a little pushback or at least there's some dubiousness among some of the clan, but once they find the new Burke, they that's where they want it to be. They even say, this is, this is better than the last one. And, yeah. um, and so for me, that's where the film thrives. And I think the emotion that comes with these films that comes with those ideas I think, is as uh, stimulating as we saw in the previous two. So, um, I can understand your guys's narrative. Uh, criticisms but like I said I think that's a red herring I I don't think the film really ever cared about any of that I like that I I mean you said it perfectly I I really like how you drew the
2: comparisons between Ralph Breaks the Internet because it is the same sort of thing I mean going back to that Mm -hmm. film and you can go listen to that podcast but as we said then and for anyone that's seen it Vanellope's place is somewhere else you know she's in this arcade but she's destined for so much more she knows that she does not feel at Mm -hmm. home there even though she has her best friend Ralph and so her place is slaughter race and we find that and Mm -hmm. at the end of the film both of the characters grow I mean especially Ralph who's the one that really needs to grow and he realizes that Mm -hmm. you can't hold your friends back you know selfishly you have to you know, accept that some people belong in, in a different place, and that's okay. Like, it doesn't make them a bad friend or a bad mm-hmm. person. But yeah, I, I think that's a great comparison, and and I like the idea of this movie really being more about um, these characters, their inner struggle with finding their place, and the hidden world is just a way to to market it to uh give people a a, gr- a great place mm-hmm. to look at and to you know make it fancy and make it seem like an adventure but but yeah i mean there are some heart wrenching moments to uh hiccup and toothless like you said J.D. both have to go through mm-hmm. this uh, this struggle and from the very beginning uh, Hiccup is hesitant to let Toothless go I mean he, he goes after the Light Fury and he can see how into her he is and he doesn't really think like he automatically assumes like oh well he'll fall in love with the Light Fury the Light Fury will come live with us and everyone will live happily ever after yeah. but more and more he sees that like the Light Fury doesn't want anything to do with them that's not where she belongs and eventually mm-hmm. when we get to the hidden world and we see how the dragons live and that that beautiful relationship. Like, like again, the JD said, when you see the way that they've bonded and the way that they have become kind of the alphas and how they're the leaders of this hidden world and all the dragons mm-hmm. and uh the way that they're connected, whether it's through like their physical touch, uh, the way that they interact with one another, they did some amazing things with body language to show that. And so, yeah, I, I really love that. I agree. So thanks for yeah, making those so. comparisons. It, it's really a great movie where it can be entertaining uh, but it also, I mean, for the kids, you've got the hidden world and the fight scenes. And for us, you know, we get mm-hmm. to see the struggle of Hiccup. I
1: think uh yeah. it's interesting that Wreck-It Ralph and this uh, both revolve around a relationship that that can't be the character's primary relationship. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like Hiccup and Toothless, like at the end of the day, like they're, they're never, you know, they're not going to be a couple yeah. that lasts forever. Like there's going to, they're, they're both by virtue of definition are going to have to have someone in their life. Who's more important than the other record. Ralph is the same way.
3: Yeah. You know, I, it's a great comparison, which is why I think it also circles back to the film, the first film. So gorgeously in the sense that in that first film, obviously humans and dragons, they couldn't live together. It was just too dangerous. There was a lot of fighting and, you come back around to that idea in this in some ways in in this third film but obviously it's not the relationship isn't contentious at all it's it there's still a a loving relationship there but it's also this idea that humans and dragons maybe we aren't supposed to live together you know it's it's just too difficult and and we all have our own place and where we need to be but you know experiencing three films and and being invested in that relationship to come to that conclusion that maybe my dad was right that we aren't supposed to be with dragons but at least now we can live in peace with these dragons in harmony yeah and so you in harmony and so you get to that that final conclusion at the end of the film and it is just it is gut wrenching to to see how those themes and and ideas kind of they they come for a circle in a way that i just find incredibly provocative but but even just in terms of the you know the 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 relationship dynamics there it's just it's stunning work so well, i just i just love how it, it it kind of reminded me of the end of toy story 3 in that sense where you know cuz the final shot of toy story 3 is the opening shot of the first toy story yeah, right. and and this kind of functions in a very similar way yeah
2: at the end of the day this is I think, I think what we have to remember. So we've gone on now three of these grand adventures. We love toothless. We love hiccup. We mm-hmm. love the city of Burke, the village of Burke. When the people like we want them to have dragons because they make fun adventures. But at the end of the day, they're humans, they're Vikings and they're dragons. They're not mm-hmm. meant to, mm-hmm. to be together. And so I like that evolution exactly. of this trilogy yeah. Uh, that, in the first movie it 's humans dragon's bad, we hate dragons, no dragon's good, we can work together and fight together, and then you know mm. as as this goes on you've gone from dragon's bad to dragon's good and maybe we shouldn't work together but we both can coexist so I really like exactly. the way that the humans have changed yep. their mind but they went too far in the first one they right. they let's make them our pets Let, let's make them our equals yeah. which I mean equals not in a bad way but let's let's make it so that yeah we always fight together and work together but they're animals in a cage mm-hmm. these are animals at the zoo it's like this would be like yeah. rescuing an animal A baby bird falls out of the nest or you find a lone lion cub yeah you take it you nurse it back to health but But at the end of the day, you're like, oh, I love this lion now. It's going to be my pet. Well, no, it doesn't. The lion. (laughs) Maybe that's not a good idea. The lion doesn't. Even if the lion loves you like Toothless loves Hiccup, that lion, that dragon does not belong with him. Right. He's helped him. He's he's done his part to help him grow and be safe and find where he's supposed to be. But you have to let it go. And what I really yeah. love is there was a great interview with uh, Dean Deblois, the director, and Kim Renfro, who is a writer, a journalist, film critic. And she uh, she interviewed the director, and she likened the end of this movie to that scene with the lion, the lion that grew up. What is uh, Christian the lion? You guys, I'm sure, have seen this viral video, even if you don't know it by name. Uh, there's a lion that was nursed back to health by this guy, and he lets the lion go and, and join a pride and be a part of that world. And then years later, the zoologist, the guy, whoever raised him and nursed him back to health and let him go, meets up with him. And there's this real tension between the two. You've seen this viral video. It's a few years old, but I know you've seen it, where this huge lion comes up and there's this human. And you're like, oh, my God, dude. Like, this lion is kind of standoffish. He, the human's looking like lunch. And then Christian jumps on him and plays with him. And they roll around and hug and embrace. And so that the end scene of this movie the director was directly inspired by that video. So that's yeah. why there's such a comparison, but for sure but that's that, yeah. that is in a sense what this movie is about. I mean, you, you have to let mm-hmm. people, you have to let things go and people have to be able to live where they belong. Um, but that doesn't mean that you still can't hang out and, and, and coexist in the end.
1: Uh, I think the important thing to note in all of that is that Grimmel adds Dick to any of that. <laughs>
2: Well, that's. Like, a, I, I think that's what it's. Let's make a, a right. kids' like, movie I, with an adventure. It, you yeah. could take. You could take Grimmel out of this, and still find a way to make it work. And I think you'd have a much better movie. But uh, maybe that would be an adult movie and not a kids' movie. Like
1: I, I. But I mean, I think. You, I mean, at some point, you have to go where the story wants to go, and I and I feel like the story wanted to go hidden world relationship between Toothless and. And, and hiccup and how that can't be at least in its current. In but that's what JD. I, as yeah. much
2: as the the hidden world was a red herring, Grimmel's a red herring too. I mean, he's just but, a but, way but to. I, but I don't feel like the the
1: the hidden world still works within the context of the story. I don't think Grimmel does. It's I think just Gr- conflict. It's I think just, it's it's arbitrary conflict. You but, know what
2: I mean? I mean. Yeah, I I, I definitely can see what you mean. I I just think it just makes the movie more of a...
1: If if you wanted conflict for conflict's sake, I think it makes more sense to have one of the other uh, townspeople of Burke become some sort of rival trying to undermine them going to the Hidden World. I think that makes more sense and, and could weave you know weave in better because every time they went to grimmel i was just like mm-hmm. don't
3: care i i do i do think he serves a purpose for the arc of the light fury and the ideas of trust that come with that in the film because as you said earlier kevin that she doesn't trust humans and why shouldn't she i mean she's been abused she's been in cages for god knows how long so of course she's not going to trust humans and even once she's around Toothless, and she sees Hiccup a little bit. She's still very wary of him, but there is an evolution that by the end of the film, because of the danger that she's put in, um, where her and Toothless are, you know, they're caught, they need someone to come save them. And so as Hiccup does, there comes that moment where Hiccup makes an extreme sacrifice that Gives her an epiphany of her own, where she realizes that okay, well, Hiccup isn't like these other humans. He's he's clearly making a sacrifice for my life and for Toothless, and so then it it brings back those ideas of uh, of trust. It brings that full circle in a way that I feel like is complementary to those other ideas. That's a that tremendous we were talking about growth.
2: So, I mean, the the fact that the Light Fury goes from being a caged animal. Scared of humans, wants to blow Hiccup up on sight. Doesn't matter. She's not asking questions first, blow up later. I mean, she sees a human, she Mm -hmm. wants to kill them two eventually mm-hmm. you know spoilers that's what we do saving his life i think that's a tremendous growth and she's not even really a main I character know. but we see hiccup grow we see toothless grow but think about what it takes just like jd said so i do think that's a beautiful mm-hmm. uh, growth of that character as well uh, eventually she leaves the the light fury leaves toothless wants to chase her can't because of course we know he has that tail injury uh, hiccup has made contraptions that he can control uh, he's never really quite gotten it he, he worked on a way so that toothless could control it but Toothless doesn't like the the fake tail and the mechanism and all that. But now he's faced with, you know, he cannot go and be with this Light Fury. Uh, so Hiccup works on a new invention. It's a really fun scene. I like how they get the black paint and everything and Gobber's there. And it's a fun scene. But at the end of the day, Hiccup has to let Toothless go. And so Toothless takes the new tail, flies off. I think he says, like, I'll see you tonight. And that never happens. I mean, Toothless is gone now, and he thinks Toothless is going to come back. But you know, Toothless is off doing his Light Fury thing that that we're going to get to. Um, and so their their idea is we need to go and we need to stop Grimmel. That's that's the Viking's so, goal. Just
1: to recap, Toothless used a piece of dragon tail to get a piece of dragon tail. Ah, <laughs> that's why you're here. Oh boy. <laughs>
2: so their idea is we have to go stop these Vikings. So Kate Blanchett's character, Hiccup's mom goes and, and does some scouting, finds that they are heading to Newburgh. Uh, You know, they've been tracking the Light Fury and still trying to get toothless. Uh, so they go and try to head them off. Big fight scene. They narrowly escape. Uh, you know, uh, this time, like Steve said earlier, Grimmel has... Hiccup, dead to rights. Sim- you know, he one upped him, but they were able to narrowly escape. Is it roughnut is left behind? She's the female. Yeah, okay. Ruffnut. Yeah. The left behind. The most annoying character in the oh, animated yeah. series. But that's neither here <laughs> nor there. So she, I mean, literally, that's her I mean, job. That's literally how she, she escapes. Uh, she, or she's, exactly. She she's out. aware of yep, it. So, so she, <laughs> so she.
1: It's the ransom of Red Chief. What is that? It's a famous short story is it where they, uh, they these people like abduct a child it's an old it's okay. before child abduction was scary and it okay. could be a cute element of oh. a kid's <laughs> story but they abduct a child and the kid's so obnoxious uh. that they give them and i don't think i think the parents don't even pay the ransom because they're like good oh geez like yeah you just keep them and he annoys them to yeah. death. and okay
2: you're just like oh my god shut up you're so annoying and you realize oh it's exactly what she wants and so she annoys him to death but he again smart I mean this is the like the Moriarty to the Sherlock I mean Grimmel knows what he's doing and he's oh just go already but the whole time he knows well you're gonna lead us right to New Burke. this is exactly what we need so she, well, has, she
0: yeah, and she hints that like, she says something about like the new base yeah and she's how all fish she's, and, like,
2: I mean she is she's a very dumb funny stupid character though and she has a big mouth and so she, she leads them right to, to New Burke and so uh, you know she's like you know smell you later peace out and rides off and then Grimmel's standing there with his grimace you know he's, he's ready, to, ready to go find him um, so this whole time you know they're just freaked out they've got uh, Roughnut is captured before she comes back and you know they want to go find Toothless and, and Hiccup's freaking out over that um, and basically uh uh, oh, there's another flashback at, at this point. So Hiccup is flashing back to the dad, and this is after his mom dies. And and there's a really nice moment again where this is where I'm like Gerard Butler, Jesus, you can act like I think it's just a really touching mm-hmm. scene where he's you know emotional at the fireplace and and uh, Hiccup comes yeah. down the stairs. And I think he even has, does he have a Night Fury stuffed animal? It's like, I mean, he, has, he loves dragons. He's loved dragons his whole life and he's holding a little stuffed dragon toy. But a really nice emotional scene between the two of them. Toothless is gone. Roughnut has led Grimmel back to New Burke and Grimble's able to take every dragon so toothless is the alpha and all the dragons as we've seen earlier follow toothless and so they end up capturing toothless they capture the light fury and all the dragons are led away and so you're like crap no dragons they they've learned to depend on these dragons so much now it's like what do we do uh hiccup is feeling like a complete failure he has kind of throughout this whole movie and now he's obviously really bummed out And Astrid goes to talk to him. His mom talks to her and says, he listens to you. And again, just a really nice scene, a really nice emotional scene between the two of them. And and she basically says, this is your time to step up. You got to do what you got to do. I don't remember the whole thing, but it's, it's a really nice scene where he realizes that he needs to take charge. He is the king and Toothless does not define him. He loves Toothless. Toothless is great. The dragons are great, but Mm -hmm. he can be a great leader and it's his time to step up. And so he eventually Mm -hmm. he ends up making wingsuits like we saw in the previous film. He makes wingsuits for all his people and it's time to go get the dragons back. So he steps up to the plate. Did uh, did I skip over when they go to the hidden world? Was that before this or is this after? I just want to make sure I don't. That's a pretty- it was
3: right before the wingsuit.
2: Right before she the was. wingsuit. Okay. So before they get captured, I should say, because this is kind of leading right up to the last 25 minutes that we're all speaking so highly of, um, they try to go get toothless because toothless, you know, he's been gone for several days. Hiccup's freaking out. And so him and Astrid leave on their dragon. And to Tom's point, they head in that direction. And just over yonder is right. the <laughs> hidden world. The hidden world. But anyway, so they get there. There's this vortex. They go into this like huge waterfall tornado vortex type thing. And they enter the hidden world, and it's this beautiful, amazing world. Not to take away any credit from them, because this is amazing imagery. It's really breathtaking. But I'm just like, this is Pandora. It's very Pandora. I I mean, I've seen it before. I'm just like, it it would have been that much more amazing had I not seen Avatar, had I not been on Flight of Passage at Disney World. I mean... There's no I, I don't I'm not trying to hate on this a,
1: movie. There's a lot of aspects of my life that would have been more amazing if I hadn't seen
2: Avatar. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. But uh, but I mean yeah, there's no there's no debate here. I mean I saw this and I'm like this is amazing. I loved it at Disney World. I loved it in Avatar. Right. So not mm-hmm. as original as I think they could have been. I mean, they cr- they're still visually. Entrancing Absolutely. I anything. mean, it's stunning. And avatar was too. That's just, that's yeah. my, that's my only thing is when, you know, I looked at my wife and we were at this, uh, showing a few weeks ago, you know, and I'm just like, Oh my God, it's Pandora. And we've been to Disney a few times recently and we always ride that ride. And right. it's amazing. I'm just like, yeah, it's that cave that you go in at the flight of passage. It's yeah. but anyway, so they get to the hidden world, but this the important thing here like JD mentioned earlier and we alluded to is we see Toothless and Light Fury in their element. We see all these dragons and up on this pedestal, up on this high rock, you've got, you know, the alpha as as we've come to discover that all the dragons listen to him and these two are ruling as basically king and queen of all these dragons and it's just their natural environment. You see their bond, you see them again the physical contact. You see how much? How different Toothless looks. I mean, here's Goofy Toothless that we always see joking around and trying to mm-hmm. dance around and be goofy, and now you see this leader. You see Stoic. Uh, you know, he looks like a, a yeah. lion up on the top of a, a of a rock, you know, and leading his people. And so, um, it really just a different environment. But this is when it really clicks to hiccup that it's like, wow, this is where he belongs. Um, something happens. I don't know. They step on another twig or whatever, but they're discovered. All the dragons, because again, these dragons don't like humans. They're not used to them. They live in this hidden world for a mm-hmm. reason. Um, they all go chasing another great action sequence. I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, Astrid and and Hiccup are trying to avoid dying at the hands of all these gigantic dragons who are chasing them. Um, Toothless swoops in to save the day. He rides off, but you also see, like you see that Toothless is happy to save Hiccup but you also see like that he's leaving, you know, we're, we're you know, looking back the whole time, like, uh, oh, I, I missed them already. And, and Hiccup realizes it, and he talks to him and he says, you know, buddy, I, I get it. Like you don't belong with here. You belong there. And, and it's a, it's a really, another really great emotional beat that these movies do between Hiccup and, and Toothless because we have seen this bond grow so much. And at this point you you realize what it means to him to let Toothless go. So another really nice emotional scene here um good the light fury mm-hmm. shows up though and then this is when i either it's either hiccup or astrid like oh well maybe we don't have to go maybe we can all live here like hey the light fury's here to hang out with us she will stay but no she's there to lead uh to lead the bad guys cuz roughnut shows back up and they're all there to lead uh Grimmel right to them. So that's when they capture the two dragons. They take all their dragons, fast forward, they get the the wing suits, and this is where the last just half hour is, is awesome. I mean this is the film really excels not only in the action set pieces. I mean it's great action, uh, great teamwork with them all teaming up and getting getting their dragons back into safety um and then we get to the the ending of the movie which is just fantastic but um i thought this looked great um maybe tom did this this ending scene wasn't as dark there wasn't as a lot of yeah i it, mean i
1: felt like it 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 corrected that this was yeah i mean this yeah.
2: was like this was perfection this was You know, the camera work was beautiful, wide shots, nothing hidden. Um, But yeah, it's them taking back their dragons and battling really good fight sequence. A lot of good comedy interjected, you know, with all the Vikings uh, with uh, fish legs, you know, and his little baby dragon and then the huge dragon that ends up coming and saving the day. So a lot of good comedic elements and all that. Um, And then we get to the real gut punch, which JD mentioned earlier uh, towards right before the film wraps up, which is that uh, Mm -hmm. you've got... uh, Hiccup on Toothless and you have the bad guy uh, chasing after him with his evil dragons. And uh, as Toothless um, Toothless is shot with a tranquilizer, Grimmel shoots a tranquilizer dart at Toothless and he is incapacitated as Hiccup jumps off of toothless yeah, they, they aren't on the light fury at that point the night fury and the light fury both of them are like hung upside down and they're in these harnesses yeah. he gets toothless free and he gets the light fury free um and disconnects that harness hiccup frees her but then he says you have to go save him and that's when you see this first struggle Uh, with the light fairy because she's like "Uh, but Mm -hmm. you're you're you need to you know and he's just like go save him and so another really nice emotional beat where um, Grimmel is like you're going to kill us both if you let go and he has to make that decision it's either save toothless or save himself and so Mm -hmm. Hiccup lets go you see the dramatic slow motion drop of both uh, Grimmel and him falling free fall, slow motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the light fury goes and at the last moment is able to kind of tackle toothless to safety. She goes and catches him and they both roll off on a, over on a cliff over to the side here. And then as you see both, uh, Grimmel and hiccup falling to their death, uh, the light fury swoops in and saves them. And it's a beautiful moment. Um, mm-hmm. she has you know, and we see that that bond has grown and, and the light fury as a character has grown. And so he's saved. Meanwhile, Grimmel's hanging on by Hiccup's mechanical leg or his peg leg or whatever you want to call that. Uh, and so, of course, he loosens it and he falls to the sea. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of how it wraps up. And, and and the very, the you know, so every all the dragons are saved. Grimmel has been dealt with. But now th- this is all leading up to his dragons don't belong here, right? So they're all saved. But, like, they, they need to let them go and more specifically Hiccup needs to let Toothless go. And so really emotional moment. This mm-hmm. comes from the trailer. You see Hiccup's hand on Toothless's head, you know, it, it's just it's a mm-hmm. real gut punch because this is what all these three movies have been leading up to and the bond we've seen grown and he finally is okay with letting Toothless go. As hard as it is, he knows it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. We let them go and they, they they go off. And and then this is where we get the big time jump, which I think is 10 years later. Uh, something like that. And then again the reason that they did this DeBlois said that he wanted to give time for the characters to grow and to find their own. So the, we, we get a chance to see that Hiccup is obviously aged up. Um, he has a family of his own. You know, He's older. He's got his big beard. Uh, and they have two him and Astrid have two kids. Uh, meanwhile, Toothless and the Light Fury have started a family of their own. They he's ob- no
1: longer Toothless because he has dentures. They, this, is how, <laughs> this is how you know he's
2: older. Yeah, yeah. at the hidden, They have dentists at the Hidden World. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's not a hidden dentist practice. It's right there. We flash forward. And so this is what you see in the very first trailer for the movie. So not having seen the movie, you wouldn't really understand this narration. Now going back, like I was getting chills as I went back and watched trailer one from last year of this movie. It is hiccup narrating you know there used to be dragons and even talking about seriously i get chills like this is such an amazing narration and and you just know how much Mm -hmm. heart is behind it he is narrating to his kids about dragons his kids grew up in a world where there's no dragons just like he grew up you know, exactly. hearing about dragons, reading about dragons, but he never saw them. These kids are little Hiccup, and and he's there. There were dragons, and he talks about their whole story and what they've done. And so they have he- they head out on a ship. Uh, Astrid, Hiccup, and their two kids. And I really like what they did. I think any lesser of a writer or a director would make a baby Hiccup look just like Hiccup, baby Astrid look just a bit like Astrid, and they yeah. switch it. They have uh, a little girl that has Hiccup's hair color, a little boy with yeah. blonde hair like Astrid. Yeah. I just liked how they did that. It it was more of a surprise, like, oh, okay, yeah, they don't have to look like carbon copies of each yeah. parent. So,
1: I thought it was creepy that one of the dragon children look like Hiccup. Oh, I well, thought that was... that was a bridge too far. So you think maybe deleted scene? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But yeah, beautiful, beautiful moment. And that's why, like I said, when, when you say stick the landing, like, you know, if, if you could hold up a sign that had 11 on it as far as the landing of this movie, oh, I mean, this yeah. is... A... I
1: I didn't care for this last scene. Oh, my God. This I, is... I, oh. I think
2: it takes place too soon. Wow. Too soon after... But yeah. I mean you you realize the 10 year time jump but you think it's yeah. too close
1: I think it's I think it's too soon I think it's too soon in the timeline of the movie oh. I think I cuz first off like the whole like there used to be dragons yeah like like 20 minutes ago like it's not that like I mean they're still surrounded by people who remember dragons like it's based not based on the
2: kids a story
1: I get that but they grew up in a world where every single person they know remembers dragons. It wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like it's not this long ago far away world. It, it, it's been like, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been 10 years. It's not that long. Oh. And so I, I don't think dragons would have taken on this mythical, this, this mythical, uh, nature that quickly. Like, there's, there's st- still dragon poop, like, that they, they could step in. It's not been that long. But I mean, like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but I mean, I think t- the t- kid should have been old. I think it should have been him as an old man explaining it to his grandkids. Oh. Like, that, I think, would have had more resonance, but the, but like, that whole speech didn't work for me, cause I'm like, it hasn't been that long. Like, oh. literally every adult they know, and even a lot of kids that they know, are gonna, are going to remember a world where there was dragons? It's not this big, giant mystery
2: teach, like they're making it out to be. Teach their own. I mean, I can't. I, I yeah, can't argue. I, I disagree. I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I, fair I, enough. I, I just feel like. I mean, to me, it's a lot can happen in ten years. I mean, especially in our world, which obviously has a lot more. Uh, as far as social media and the way that news changes, and like 10 years to us is rapid, but 10 years to anyone, I feel like you can, if you haven't seen a dragon in 10 years, like I think of, like I remember Circuit City, I remember uh, Barnes & Noble, or Borders, you know, I remember all these stores, I, and I, I used to work at Circuit City, but it wasn't that long ago there was a Circuit City. I can hardly remember it. I worked there, yeah. but like I just feel like you can grow, mm. and in 10 years, a lot can change, and you know, these dragons, is not like, even though there's stories in them, like I think you can forget really easily. You get tied up in your own things and you know yeah. what I, 10 years ago to me seems like a lifetime ago.
3: I think it also works because and again, you know perhaps it's just in the way that we interpret these films. but for me, this whole series was about not the mythical uh, allure of dragons. It's about coexisting with dragons. That's what this whole series has been about. So, for me, when I see that final scene, it's much much more powerful to see these little kids who haven't seen a dragon of their own, they've only heard about their dad talk about his experience with dragons. So as they see Toothless for the first time, of course they're going to be scared. They've never this they've never had this happen to them before, but they see Toothless interact with their dad in a way that alleviates that fear in a lot of ways. They see the coexistence, they see the actual peace that can that can form between a human and a dragon and that to me is much more powerful than an older version telling his grandkids about, you know, what dragons used to be because for me the series was never about that. It was always about coexisting and seeing these little kids actually experience that. Um, I thought was uh, I was really resonant, especially because of the callbacks to how they touch Toothless, which is verbatim to how Hiccup did it in the first film. I thought that was a pretty brilliant touch. So Full circle, I, I, yeah. I, I think it works on an emotional level, just in terms of what we see there, but it thematically brings closure to the whole the whole series.
2: It's yeah, and you know, to each their own, like we said before. But yeah, I just I found it, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was such an emotional scene and him talking to the kids, but also with his friend that uh much like that lion video I mentioned earlier in this 10 years, uh a lo- you know, toothless and the dragons have not seen humans. I mean, they've bonded. We saw how quickly they bonded even when they went to the hidden world. And of course he realized, you know, who hiccup was, but still, he was still kind of out in his own headspace and in his own mind, not really thinking as much about um, hiccup because he's, distracted with his own stuff and so i feel like they've gone and they haven't seen humans in 10 years they haven't seen dragons in 10 years and both of them don't quite know like what to think you know and are these humans gonna hurt me are these dragons gonna hurt me do they remember us do we remember each other kind of a thing and uh i was a really nice moment in that full circle with uh, the sniffing and you know hiccup going right up to him and, and then him remembering him and the director said in that interview that kim renfro did the director said like was it on was was Toothless messing with Hiccup? That was the question, right? Was he like acting like I'm going to get you and then no, I remember you. Hey, buddy, what's up? And no, like Deb Lois said that his intention was that Toothless really didn't Remember him for a second. You know, he just, it, it had been 10 years. It was long mm. enough for him to.
0: That beard threw him off.
2: Yeah, he's like, he yeah, looks manly. Exactly. That's <laughs> that's not the hiccup I knew. But uh, he really wanted it to be like, hey, are you okay? Are you who I think you are? Do I remember you? And then all the memories come back and you have that emotional moment and a beautiful send off with then, uh you know, uh, each of them is on a dragon. uh Astrid is on the light. Yeah, watching fairy.
1: them ride this dragon at the end, I was like, what an awful parent. Right,
2: throwing him <laughs> up in the air. I know. I as a parent I was nervous for I, the kids I, I, totally, but I again I was like you were awful. <laughs> we freaked out when Michael Jackson just
1: dangled a baby over a balcony and you're you're flipping him from dragon to dragon. It's,
2: yeah you know, I mean, again, this is like one of those stakes where you're just like, obviously nothing's gonna happen. So it was fun. Uh they're switching dragons. They each of the kids takes a turn and then, you know, they switch dragons, switch kids and it's just a really touching moment and and i think a really fitting conclusion i it's a beautiful beautiful one of the i think one of the most beautiful conclusions to a trilogy uh, and i loved it mm-hmm. so steve i know you didn't get yeah, to say I your know. piece what did you feel about the conclusion
0: i mean you guys pretty much summed it up what i was thinking i mean as far as a uh, tom's point about it not being far enough down the timeline i you know far enough into the future i really just there's no say there's no There's no evidence that he didn't, you know, introduce his grandkids on the road too. This is just him wanting to be like, "Hey, look, toothless. This is like these babies. That's what I made." I just felt like
1: like it hadn't been a long enough period of time. Like like I I just think for me it would have had more emotional resonance if like he went the rest, basically the rest of his life without seeing dragons. Because now it kind of feels like, oh, they'll probably be swinging by once a week, taking dragon rides. Like it, you know what I mean? And that they'll they're, they'll find this new kind of way to coexist and i i think i i would have liked it better if it would there would have been i think it would have been more dramatic for me if there had been a uh a much longer period of time that he went without seeing dragons and that it would have been easier for me to believe that dragons had had fallen into the realm of mythology because in 10 years like you know you're still 80 percent of burke is going to be like no there were totally dragons like it's not going to be this big giant myth i
2: think but i think it has to be about the kids i mean i don't i totally get your point i'm not trying to argue i just from my point of view i think it's all about the kids the the kids have never seen dragons like if i if god Mm -hmm. forbid and i don't want this to happen and i don't hopefully it won't but like let's say lions went extinct i'm just going to keep using the christian the lion analogy if lions go extinct I've seen lions at the zoo. I've seen footage. I mean, these people have no TVs, no internet, so they can't even see videos of dragons, right? All they have is stories. But if, if lions went extinct, and even though I've seen them and have been around them, and I tell my kids about lions, and let's say I couldn't show them pictures or videos, and then they see one in real life, like, even though we still know about lions, but we think they're extinct or or we don't know where mm-hmm. they are or what they're doing... I think to see one in 10 years after never seeing or, or knowing what's happening with lions would be pretty amazing. But for my kids who have never seen them, only heard me talk about lion, king of the jungle with these huge manes and the commanding presence and whatever, you know, like I, I, I think a kid would be nervous like these yeah. kids were. I think they'd be in amazement. And then, not that you go ride yeah. lions, but, you know, then
3: to especially be able to interact well, with them. You can, but only well, once.
2: <laughs> right. It's yeah. Only once. So
3: I. Well, and I, and I also don't think it for them to be where they are supposed to be, so to speak, I don't think that also means that uh, they can't ever see each other. I don't think it's mutually exclusive like that. I mean, again, we saw that in Ralph breaks the internet as well, just because Vanellope is in her new game. Now doesn't mean they can't ever see each other. It just means that they have their own identities and their own places. And it's the same thing here. I don't think, the ending of the film is suggesting that humans can never see dragons ever again like I don't I don't think it was ever supposed to veer into that territory as much as it is and so, for me, again, it's all about those ideas of coexistence. It's, you know, him showing his kids these things for the first time.
2: Coexistence is one thing, and I totally agree with you. But to Tom's point, I think what he's saying is that it's only been 10 years, and now that they've found each other, he feels like there's going to be a barbecue every weekend. Like, right. the worlds are supposed to be different. They can live together, but you're still not right. Ride- yeah. Now we're back to riding them and training them. And if, if dragons are coming around even to visit, someone is going to think, oh, can we train them? And then we've got How to Train Your Dragon again, and we're not not doing what the story is. I
3: didn't read into the scene that way, but... No, and I didn't either. We're
2: just projecting, like, it's inevitable if now we see them, it's not going to be like, okay, well, we'll see in 10 years, like, maybe in a year or six months, like, let's go visit Toothless, sure, and then it's next week, and then we're just writing the story. But it's like, once you take them from being this huge deal, they're separate, and now they're back together, you can only imagine that now, well... Now maybe they're going to coexist again, so it, it opens up that door. But I, I didn't take it that way, and I, I enjoyed it. But I didn't. I, I can see it. I can. I yeah. definitely see your point. So, um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, that that wraps up the trilogy. And I mean, is this going to be one of those uh, Toy Story four situations, or are we pretty sure that this is conclusively? I mean, I know never say never, but are, are there any words of a fourth one? Is anyone even thinking of it, or
1: I? My gut tells me that they're done, just because it took so long to get this one
2: yeah that you know yeah i it's a perfect ending to the trilogy so i would be completely fine mm-hmm. with never as much as i like them yeah. i don't need to see another
1: but i i will say that i if i don't think we'll get another feature i wouldn't be surprised if you get another netflix show and
2: totally maybe follows his kids uh, yeah spin off mm-hmm. completely but but hiccup and toothless's journey i think has to be yeah. over and mm-hmm. it shouldn't be touched this is a great way to end it
0: they said the same thing about Toy Story and, 3 and here we that, are that's
2: that's it what is. I was gonna yeah, say I know. Like, it's, I, don't, I know I don't know I,
3: I just don't
1: <laughs> think that this property is as much of a juggernaut right. for them as Toy Story is like
2: Toy Story yeah. is that and that's the movie great that built point. Pixar yeah. yeah and there's still that love where I mean this is great and it has a huge following but it's not on Toy Story level right where it's associated with DreamWorks I mean you know I mean it's not like you can't have DreamWorks without how to train your dragon right there's other things whereas Pixar is like yeah Maybe, we Think DreamWorks, it, you think Shrek. The Shrek is what built DreamWorks, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I I loved it, um, and uh, yeah, I I think that it was great. So a great way to end the trilogy.
1: Awesome. Well, I guess uh, we will wrap this up. And, uh, J.D., why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you and about your show one more time?
3: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being on. This was a lot of fun. You guys can find us at com. There you can find links to the show on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Links to social media there as well. Um, And, of course, we have all of our... um, our, our shows. We have written content like reviews and other featured articles. Um, and again, all of that is at in session film.com.
0: Awesome. My name is right. Steve Kelly. You can find my writings on reviewstl.com. And I'm
1: on Twitter and Facebook at The God Cavs.
2: This is Kevin. Follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett.
1: And this is Tom. You can follow me on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at slash Tom O'Keefe. You can find the show online at slash uh, real spoilers, or at our website realspoilers.com, dot com or on Twitter at real spoilers and uh, while you 're on the Facebook page, go ahead and click like join the league of show shares and uh, also don't forget our patreon at patreon dot com slash real spoilers so coming up next week uh greta I guess we'll see uh, that's, I think that's the biggest movie coming out movie it week.
2: looks pretty good yeah i i mean i I really like uh, Chloe Grace Moritz and yeah. uh, it looks creepy. I saw a trailer before. I don't think I would have stopped before this, but what was no. that? Oh, a uh, happy death idea. Yeah. Cause I, that was one of the last ones I saw in theaters. I saw a trailer and I'm like, this is creepy. I like yeah. it. This is interesting. Yeah, So, uh,
1: I think that's probably the biggest one next week. So okay. that is probably what's, uh, on the menu. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, oh, and, and what did
2: you think of the Oscars?
1: Oh, you know me, I don't care. <laughs>
2: All those wins are we were you glad that one person won
1: I like, yeah I like never watch I so don't care like I'm like if anything interesting happens it'll be on YouTube. I don't need to spend four hours of my life watching it
2: did I you see. at least like that joke though? Like, sure yeah yeah
1: <laughs> but not the other one that everyone is so upset about really oh, yeah. yeah I was so, indifferent yeah. so uh, anyway, that's it for this one thanks for tuning in and until next time Elliot destroys Dr. Terminus's traveling life.